Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. The issues of sexuality, marriage, finding a life's partner is that not many people are willing to do it. Um, I started my working life as a high school teacher. I was, became very quickly aware as a high school teacher of this dynamic at work inside every young heart. The desire to be loved, the desire to find somebody who will treat you as some kind of special treasure, and it just never goes away. The challenge of that is, it is such a strong cry on the inside, it can easily lead you into choices that are really unhelpful. And as a result, if someone could give you some ideas, some good ideas and some good insight into how to manage this inward cry for intimacy, it could save your life and save you a lot of pain. Um, I grew up in a home where my father loved my mother and that was perhaps one of the greatest things my dad ever did for me. My dad demonstrated to me what uh, loving God looks like and he demonstrated to me what loving your wife looks like. He loved my mum. What what they didn't do, however, is give us many clues as to how um, they had managed those years when my dad had to wait for my mum during the Second World War. My father uh, was a school teacher who met my mum when she was only 13 years old. And uh, he then waited for her for six years during the war years because my grandfather was a German by background and he was barracking for Hitler. And he was hoping Hitler would win the war and that he would be a big man in the Mali uh, as a result. And of course, he, uh, Dad wasn't allowed to marry Mum until it was clear that Hitler wasn't going to be winning any war. And as a result, life was going to go on uh, pretty much the way we'd understood it in Australia, at least, as it had in the past. What my mum and dad never did for us was explain to us much about the theology of sex, God's plan for marriage, God's plan, how do you find a life's partner? And that may have been difficult in my father's years, but it's got way more difficult today. Because if you were to visit planet Earth, come to Australia, and try to figure out what is the meaning of life by watching TV, you'd come to the conclusion, well, sex must be the meaning of life. And the meaning of life is to have as much sex as you can before you die, because pretty soon you'll be dead and then you can't. So Let's, uh, let's see if we can't get as much sex happening as we can before we die. And as a result, when you're raised in that environment, it's not easy to figure out how should I view myself as a male or a female? How do I view this cry, this longing for intimacy in my life? And what does God want me to understand about that? And I can't tell you all in one hit tonight, but I'm going to give you a few thoughts. This has mattered to me so much. It's the first discipleship course I ever developed, and it's called The Search for Intimacy. It runs for like seven and a half or eight hours. You're going to get 30 minutes, and that's all you get tonight. And so we'll see what we can get out in 30 minutes. And the two big issues I want to challenge you about, so if I forget at the end, I'll say it now. The first is this. Every young man and every young woman deserves to have a very clear theology of sex, not just rules about sex, but a theology of sex. And I hope to explain just a little bit about that uh, tonight. The second is that we need to be very clear on why sex is so damaging as well as helpful. Anyone that has ever dealt with people who have been sexually abused know you're dealing with something that has the potential 
to change a person's entire life. And it's one of the reasons why our law courts take sexual abuse so seriously. It only requires one inappropriate touch to start a chain of events in a person's life that can either lead to suicide or the inability to relate emotionally for the rest of a person's life. And it's one of the reasons why the uh, recent Royal Commission into Sexual Abuse has been viewed so intently across our nation because the stories of people who have been hurt and damaged um, are just heartbreaking and they're numerous. Uh, it's one of the reasons why my, our dear friends in the front row have been creating a movie which is currently being released across Australia to try to help people become aware not only of the nature of the challenge of sexual abuse but where help can be found and tonight the last thing I want to say is this I have a single resource that if tonight you leave saying I think sex has been misused in my life and I may need to recover from that then there's, there are pathways what we need to understand it's not as easy as simply saying I'm sorry someone pray for me Sometimes there's a lot more involved to, in it than that. And as a result, we want to take our sexuality seriously. We want to understand the power it has for good, the power it has for harm, and try the best we can. Firstly, not to damage ourselves, but then to try not to damage other people in our journey through life. And I promise you, you'll never hear a talk like this in high school, uh, unless they invite me to come talk, then you may hear one first thing I want to say to you about this is this God is the origin of gender and there is a lot of discussion going on particularly in Victoria at the moment as they're seeking to introduce into our primary schools a whole course for children as young as kindergarten to, to explain to them that being male or female is something that may change more than once in your life you may flow back and forth between being male and female and uh, as a result, we have people even think gender is a problem, gender, if we could just eradicate gender. But the Bible teaches us that God is the origin of gender. He invented gender. And when Jesus was asked a really important question about divorce, he gave us some insight, not just to divorce, but some insight into intimacy and relationships. Jesus was asked a question. Um, can we divorce our wives for any reason? And the reason he, they were asked that question is that there was a view amongst some of the Jewish scholars, a bit like the Muslim view today, that if you're sick of your wife, just say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and she's out of there, and I go get myself another one. There was another view that said, God doesn't think that's a very good idea, and he thinks that will ruin people's lives. Jesus, what do you think? And Jesus said this, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, not wives, but wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together. Now, that ought to be enough to make us stop and think a little bit. Whoa. What God has joined together. Sex is not just a recreational pursuit. 
I mean, you could think that was the case by watching most of the media, most of the movies that come out. Sex is just another entertainment facility in your life. It's there, you know, to have fun with. God says you need to understand something. When I created gender, I did something extraordinary. I put into a physical form a revelation of my own divine and eternal personality. See, the average Australian can never answer this question, where did sex come from? And why is sex here? Because the average Australian is an evolutionist. The average Australian is a materialist. Um, and the materialist thinks that there was no creator, there's no big plan. Uh, the entire universe is just the result of a huge big accident. Nothing blew up and before you knew it, matter was evolving and then next there was physics and chemistry. And over billions of years, physics and chemistry in interaction with lots of mistakes and has, has produced living stuff. It's a fascinating idea. One thing that evolution will never be able to address is how do you get DNA without a cell wall and how do you get a cell wall without DNA? It's a chicken and the egg thing, which comes first. How, how do you ever get both of those things? Um, the answer is it requires someone really bright to pull all that stuff together. Matter can never create living, star, living uh, material. And it's why even Richard Dawkins, when he was releasing his latest book called The Greatest Show on Earth, admitted to some university students behind the scene that there are four things that evolution will never be able to address. The origin of life, the origin of sex, the origin of self-consciousness and the origin of morality. That's impossible to explain those four things in a purely material universe. So when it comes to the issue of sex, the average, you say, where did sex come from? Why is it here? Well, it's not, it's not here for a reason. It's just the end product of, of evolutionary processes. It's just nothing more than physics and chemistry. So when you then talk about sex in a high school environment and part of the um, mindset of the high school is we must remove all theology from the discussion and have purely materialistic reasons for everything. Then when it comes down to the issue of discussing the cry for intimacy in the human heart, we're really down to two things and that is how to stop getting pregnant when you don't want to be and how to not catch a sexually transmitted disease in the process. That's all you're left with. Because you see, morality requires a whole bunch of different assumptions and Jesus didn't mind injecting all of that into the argument. Have you not read that he that made them from the beginning made them both male and female? Gender is a God idea. Because you see, God is not Allah. God is Yahweh. Now, the, mind, the idea of, of Allah is a singularity of person in a singularity of substance. If I was made in the image of a God who from all eternity has existed in pristine singularity, where would the idea of sex come from? Where would the idea of communication come from? Where would the concept of love come from? Because God's experience of being is aloneness singularity but you see God's experience of his own eternal being is not loneliness because God is not a singularity God is a trinity a trinity of persons but so intimate in their relationship as to share an indivisible substance 
And the word that epitomizes God is the word intimacy. The Bible says God didn't just invent love, God is love. Because God at the core of his being has dwelt in everlasting intimacy. It's the truth about eternity in both directions. You came from intimacy and you are headed towards intimacy and out of God's own extraordinary experience of divine intimacy, the theological term for it is perichoresis, the ability for one to be within another without being subsumed or overwhelmed or somehow uh, destroyed by that intimacy, to be fulfilled in it rather than to be destroyed by it. And God, in speaking to Israel, said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. I am a God of intimacy, a God of unity, and now I'm going to share that with you. How will I create a human being that's in my image who can understand something of what I mean when I use the word intimacy? And so God made us both male and female, one body that is capable of being physically united with another body. It was manufactured for the purpose. And then God said, when I created male and female, I made two human beings who are capable of sharing physical oneness. And here's what I'm going to say about that physical oneness. If you like the idea of sex, if you like that idea, I've woven it into you, but if you like the idea, you need to understand if you want to experience it, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, in other words, abandon all your past securities and invest yourself entirely in this relationship. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother and stick to his wife and the two shall become one flesh for what God has joined together. Sex is not simply another version of Xbox 3, um, an entertainment system. It is an expression of God's divine nature in your body. The capacity to bring two bodies together into one. And God says it's a good idea, but it costs you everything. For this cause, a man leaves his father and his mother and sticks to his wife for what God has joined together let no man put asunder. Sex is a God kind of joining. Now that has a number of implications. Um, here's the first one. You, you need to know that it matters who you marry. It matters. I want to show you a little picture. That's me and that's Helen. She's a cradle snatcher. <clears throat> In 1968, I stood beside that little girl and I said to her, forsaking all others and cleaving only unto you, for richer or poorer, for better or worse, in sickness and in health, till death us do part. And that little girl pinned her future to my character. I pinned my future to her character. But we had no idea of the significance of that moment, really. Why did I marry this girl? Well, at least in part because she was beautiful. I just wanted, I, I found her immensely attractive. Really, really attractive. 
I am grateful to say that my entire sexual experience in life is with her. I never have to go to our marriage bed trying to get out of my mind a whole bunch of other women that I've slept with because I've never slept with another woman. And as a result, I'm grateful for the fact that we had enough Christianity in us to keep us from wounding ourselves uh, prior to our relationship in that way. But we had no idea of the significance of the moment. I'm just so glad that as I look back, God brought this girl into my life and, and God brought me into her life. I am the best thing that's ever happened to that girl, um, except for Jesus in her whole life but we had no idea how significant that moment was you need to know something it matters who you marry now I can only look back on this now I wish my mum and dad had been more involved in coaching us and encouraging us and in helping us to, un to ask the question is this really a God ordained relationship because it's the one of the best questions you could have ever ask one of the reasons people often get damaged because they have no idea about how to assess whether the attraction that they're experiencing has God in the middle of it or just a bunch of biology. Because, see, you can get attracted. There's people that the world's filled with attractive people. You could get attracted to more than one person in your, in, in your life. The question is, is God in the middle of it? See, this is, I know that this is almost a dangerous thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. There have been moments since we were married that I've been attracted to other women. The great thing is I own a Bible and I didn't have to wonder whether there was something inappropriate about that. I knew God wasn't in that attraction and so I could then say, I'm not going down that pathway. How would you ever know that God was in the middle of a relationship? It's one of the great questions. Every young man, every young woman needs to have at least some tests so that you don't invest years of your life in a relationship that has got disaster attached to it. And the reason that matters so much to me is firstly I've got children, but secondly I've got brothers and sisters. See, both of my sisters married someone they should never have, uh, they should never have married. The sad thing about it is that often people do marry people they shouldn't have married, but no one speaks into the situation and gives them any tests to know whether what they're doing is really appropriate or not. It was only recently that my big sister revealed to me, who's been single now for more than 30 years. Her husband tried to murder her at one stage. Uh, they brought four children into the world and God will make the most out of every single one of them. But she only just recently revealed to us that she never wanted to marry the guy. Well, why did you marry the guy? Because a thousand reasons. The cry for intimacy is so strong, I don't know how to leave. Um, I'm wondering if it's just me, whether, whether I have nervousness about it or whether it's not God doesn't assure my heart. Um, I hoped he would change. I hoped we'd make it all work out. The sad thing is my father knew he was the wrong guy. But because he had to wait for my mum for six years, he just never felt like he wanted to put anyone else through what he'd been through and withstand the relationship. My sister told us recently when she was in the, ch in the car on the way to church to marry him, she was just wishing my father would say to her, Margaret, I wish you wouldn't marry this guy because if he'd given her any hint of how he felt, she would have said, take me home, Daddy. I don't want to marry the guy either. 
And as a result, she has invested her life. Well, thank God out of it come four wonderful kids and grandkids and all of that's great. But has invested her life in a heartbreaking situation that could have been fixed right back there at the beginning if only people knew what to say and what kind of a, a, a test to, to put against a relationship. You see, I had no idea how significant it was who I married. Well, give me the second little picture. See, there's something about Helen that um, has so enhanced the call of God on my life. See, I was going out with this girl when God called me into ministry. In fact, I remember driving around to see her one afternoon, sobbing my heart out, and took her out in the backyard and said, I think God wants me to be a minister, and she burst into tears because she didn't want to marry a minister. It's a great testimony. You should hear it all. <coughs> but I needed this girl in my life. See, one of the things that has come out of our life is Careforce Life Keys. Why? Because she's smart. She studies. I'm lazy. I wait for her to study and tell me what the answers are. This is Helen receiving her second master's degree. She's currently doing her third master's on sexual health at Sydney University. And had I married a girl who, number one, didn't love God, number two, wasn't bright, and number three, wasn't a student, I wouldn't be here talking to you tonight. Uh, I wouldn't have anything to say. There wouldn't be Careforce Life Keys. We wouldn't be touching 20 countries. I had no idea how significant our relationship was. You've got to understand this, kids. Who you marry has a profound impact on what will unfold in your life. So don't just go blindly running, <laughs> let's find somebody. That's more serious than that. It's more serious than that. I never realized um, the little tribe that would come out of our household. That's a picture taken at a Christmas, the last, one of the last Christmas gatherings we had at our old house. And there you've got um, four other families. I have four kids, 11 grandchildren. God's reward for not killing my kids in their younger years. And one other thing I want to show you, put up the last picture. I had no idea that when I met this girl, there was a church involved in our relationship, a whole congregation, that out of that church would come a mission to India that would plant thousands of churches. You've got to know this, young people. Who you marry matters. So you really want to know, God, how do I get to marry the right person? I'm not saying how to marry your perfect match because there are no perfect matches because there aren't any perfect people. Just wonderful, problematic, beautiful, troublesome, brilliant and broken human beings. That's all there is to pick from. But what you want to know is, is does God put the tick of his approval on this relationship. That's the thing you want to get right. Now, in order to get there, well, let me show you this next picture. I love this little picture. In fact, I really wish this picture was taken with a better camera because I'd blow that up and put it on the wall. Look at that. Look at the little baby bears all sitting on a trail. This one up the end is acting the fool, but the rest of them are doing pretty good. There's, there's, we've got a few more to add to that. We've got two more to add to that list uh, since that was taken. But you just need to know that it matters who you marry because you can't tell what God has. You're like a seed. Anyone can cut open an apple and count the number of seeds, but only God knows how many apples there are in a seed. You can, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, 
God knows how many apples there are in you as a seed and it matters who you marry as to how much he gets out of your life. Along the way, therefore, you just need to understand that your sex life needs to be guarded because there is a power at work in sex that is beyond having fun. Sex has the power to change who you are. And that's why you need to be very careful about who you ever have sex with because it has the power to change who you are. And that's why in God's thinking you have sex with one person because if you're having sex with more than one person you will begin to confuse the, the DNA of your own innermost being since check, sex has, is intended by God to change you. Let me, let me just read to you a passage in the Bible that you won't find in the web of life in year uh, 11 biology. You've got to go to the Bible to get theology. Listen to what Paul has to say. He says this, Your body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for your body. God's on your side. I know one of the big fears of a young person is, but what if I don't, what if there's nobody will ever love me? I know how that feels. See, I was one of the nerds at school. I was one of the last kids in short pants. I had a nose that was too big for my face. And you start wondering, will, there be, will anybody love me in my life? I ended up winning the heart of one of the prettiest girls in school because God kept her for me. The fact is that God's for your body. God knows what you need better than you do. And so one of the most important things in, in your growing years as a young man or a young woman is to know this. God is not against you having a great life. He's for you having a great life. But you may need to guard yourself along the way. The Bible says, by his power, God raised Jesus from the dead and he's going to raise you too. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Let's take just a minute to think about that. Paul must have been stupid. Drunkenness isn't outside the body. I mean, how did they get drunk in Paul's day? They'd buy a bottle of Southern Comfort and start mashing it into their hair. No, that's not. They drank the stuff just like people do today. How did they do gluttony in Paul's day? Oh, they got a pie and peas and rubbed it up and down their arm. No, they didn't do that. They ate the stuff. It was inside the body. What Paul is saying is you've got to understand where sex came from. God has the ability to bring two spirits together in such intimacy that the life of this spirit becomes the life of that spirit and that's what salvation is. He puts it right here in this verse. He says this, Do you not know that whoever is united with the Lord is one spirit with him? The ability to bring two spirits together and in that intimacy the life of one becomes the life of another. How many people here have been saved long enough to be able to honestly say, Jesus in me has changed who I am as a person? Who can honestly say that? 
Okay, not everyone can because you haven't been around long enough. I'm a different person than I was when I allowed Christ to come in. That's where God got the idea for sex from. Two spirits, intimate, where the life of this one becomes the life of that one. That's the same idea he put into our bodies when this body becomes part of this body. Whoever is joined to a prostitute is one with her in body. Whoever is joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. That's where God got the idea for sex from. And he had similar ideas. How is it possible for a man and a woman to meet in their teenage years, then unite in one family and keep that workable, man brain, woman brain, this personality, that personality, where one personality doesn't eat the other one alive, where you have two vital growing personalities and keep that workable for the rest of your life? And part of the answer is the parrots at work in sexual intimacy. Because you see, sex in our bodies was designed by God to go beyond just the physical and touch the emotions and all the way into the spirit. And that's why sexual abuse is so damaging because when you touch a person and it damages them or distorts them at that level, you can't make that go away just by saying, I'm sorry. Sex has the power to change you. That's why God thinks virginity is so important because sexual intercourse was designed by God as part of the dynamic that would cause a man and a woman to become more and more alike over life and develop the ability to stick together and do the whole of life's journey together. It was part of God's plan. The problem is when it's misused, it goes beyond the physical beyond the emotional, all the way to the innermost parts of a person's being, and it only requires a single inappropriate act to mark a person, and now what they need is not just forgiveness, they need, they need healing. That's why um, sexual immorality matters so much. See, the average Christian thinks it's about breaking the rules. God's the big rule maker. He says, don't take your clothes off. Don't go touching people down there, though. Now I make the rules and I say, don't do it. And so you see, when we do it, we sin. And then we've got to come to God and say, oh, I did the wrong thing. And he says, oh, it's okay, I'll forgive you. And you say, oh, good, thank you very much. It, no, there is a dynamic at work in sex that changes people at the depth of their inner being, which is why sexual abuse is so hard to heal. It is, it, that's why Paul could say, every other sin you can do is outside your body. Nothing will go to the depths of your heart like sexual behavior will. And so you've got to learn to manage your sexual behaviour during those years where you're crying out for intimacy but you're still waiting for someone that you can exercise that privilege with appropriately and God says there's only one safe place for sex. The only safe sex that will ever take place is not sex with a condom, it's sex with someone you have committed your entire life to and you are prepared to follow through on the implications of this act for the rest of your life. That's the only safe sex there is. Okay, now, I, let me come down, if you would, to the next one. It's important. I'm going I'm to bring this to an end. I, I, I know we haven't got a lot of time left. It's interesting when you see doctors, nurses, and psychologists beginning to appreciate just how significant sex actually is and how unhelpful our culture has become. 
Professor David Bennett says this, adolescent sexual health is a serious but largely neglected problem. Adolescents are eager to believe that sex is joyful. For many, it turns out to be destructive, miserable, painful, confusing, annoying, frightening and ordinary, and they have no idea why. And young males caught up in a sexual relationship, by the way, are seven times more likely to be suicidal than a young teenager who is not sexually active. He makes this point, young boys plummet to suicidal levels when an affair ends, and boys are more deeply impacted to, the to that suicidal end of the spectrum than girls. Young women involved uh, sexually with, uh, with people in their teenage years inappropriately are three times more likely to be suicidal, young males seven times more likely to be suicidal, and so it raises a really big question, how far can I go? If I'm, look, I, I got, I, I, I'm a man, I want to I mess around with girls. I'm a girl, I want to mess around with boys. It's funny, you know, there was, there was a time when what I just said then was quite a normal way of explaining. Today, that, that would now be challenged by some people saying, ah, oh, no, you shouldn't say that, that's too sexist, that's too genderist. Well, that, that's just normal, okay? So <laughs> let's kind of just stick with normal for a little while. How far can I go? Well, if God's view on sex is true and sex changes you, how far can I go in experimenting with someone I have no commitment to? And how sexual can I be during those years where I'm looking for someone I could commit to for the rest of my life? How far can I go in practicing my techniques? Well, it helps to give an answer to that. I'll tell you how far you can go. You can go as far as would be appropriate with your brother or your sister. And there are some things you don't do with your brother and there are some things you don't do with your sister. And if you could just appreciate the simplicity of that kind of an idea, that's about how far you can appropriately go with this passion to, to experiment with someone else's life. Thanks, Al. That was really brilliant. That really seems quite limiting. Yeah, it probably is. That's good. I uh, just thought I'd help you know that. I'm going to finish by, by just doing some of these. How could I ever know if, I'm if I found someone with whom God could say you could build a life with this one? How would I ever know the fingerprints of God on a developing uh, relationship? Well, here's the first one. Number one, God will never put you together with someone you wouldn't want to be with. I've had people say this, oh, I trust God, what if he makes me marry some jerk? <laughs> what if I have to marry some buffhead, some ugly looking thing? Well, you need to know this about God. He thinks romance actually matters because he invented it. And as a result, he said this, for it is God who is in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God will never put you together with someone you wouldn't want to be with because he loves them as much as he loves you and he would not inflict you on them for the rest <laughs> of their lives since he cares that they know they're loved, valued, respected and deeply treasured. That's the first thing. Here's the problem, however. It's very easy to get the hots for quite a lot of people. I can say, oh, I got the hots. That must be God at work within me to will and to do because right now I feel pretty willing to do. 
Uh, well, hang on, there's more than one test. Here's the second one. By the mouth of two or three witnesses. Give me the one after that as well. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. One witness will never be enough to know that God's in something. You've got to have at least two or three. And here's the second witness. The second witness is the witness of the Spirit. You may be willing, but now is the question, is that the Holy Spirit or my hormones? And you'll never know how to test this unless you learn to pray. You've got to learn the miracle of prayer. And this can work in a lot of different areas of your life. You learn to hold something you want in the presence of God and say like Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, are you in this? And as you learn to pray, you can experience the rising of life, bubbla, 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 up comes light. The spirit of life begins to witness with you that God's hand is on it. There's also bubbla, bubbla, bubbla. Down it's going, sinking like a ship that's been torpedoed. And I've been in those situations. I'm saying, oh God, do you realize how good this is? Bubbla, bubbla, bubbla. Down she's going. There is an inner sense of death. There is no life on it. And you'll only ever know that fingerprint if you've learned to pray. Here's the third one. You shall not plow a field with an ox and a donkey together. God wouldn't even put two animals who were incompatible together. Somebody needs to do the mathematics. Because a good marriage is good feelings and good mathematics. Uh, compatibility matters to God. Do not plough a field with an ox and a donkey together. Because you tether those two animals together and try and plough a field, and one of them's going to get badly injured in the process. They are not compatible. Now, someone needs to do the work for you. It shouldn't be you, and it shouldn't be your best friend. You start manipulating the data. But you realise that when my father realised who, who was uh, wanting to marry my big sister... He knew she was not, this was not a compatible match. My sister had graduated um, as a librarian from Melbourne University and she's going out with a guy who can hardly read and, pardon, don't, don't say that, do you know it? Okay. Sometimes I get coached from the front row. Al, <laughs> Kev, don't go down that pathway. She's, I'm getting coached. All right. He, they were not a match, let me just say that. They were not a match, not intellectually. And the reason he tried to kill her at one stage was he was so frustrated, he was, he was developing some rhubarb theology and she wouldn't swallow it. And he got so frustrated with her, he wanted to kill her for it. She had to separate from him to save her own life. Um, my dad saw that. Anyone who'd done the mathematics on that relationship would say, you don't have what it takes to make this work for life. So get mum and dad to help you Get a counsellor to help you with the mathematics. Do you have the same calling, intellectual capacity, the same faith? What, kind, what is God doing with you? Where's, what's the direction of your life? And, and you, you've got to see whether there's enough compatibility to make this thing work. Here's the next one. Honour your father and your mother. If only my big sister had gone to my dad and said, Dad, should I marry this man? You know one of the reasons my daughter married the right guy? is because she listened to me. See, I've watched this stuff unfold over the years. And I watched my daughter, first of all, be courted by someone that was inappropriate. First time it ever happened, 
a guy came to the front door and said, I'd like to take out your, your daughter. And I said, come inside, I'd like to have a long talk to you. So for 40 minutes I sat down and, uh, and explained the, the meaning of life to this guy. I said, you need to know something. Number one, um, my daughter is not on the market. I'm not trying to get rid of the girl. So the question is, what role do you have in her future? And at the moment, I have no idea whether you have any role in her future. So if you're saying to me, can I take out your daughter in my car and practice on her? The answer is not on your Nelly. You're, willing, you're welcome to come to our home and have meals with us, and you're welcome to worship in our youth group, but you don't get personal access to her until such time as in my heart I know you have a role to play in her future. Funny thing is, he didn't come back. But he did ruin the lives of three other girls in our life, the life of our church whose dad didn't take that approach. Then my girl fell in love with the wrong guy. He came to me one day and said, I want to court your daughter. And I said, look, I'm not going to let you do that simply because, again, I don't know that you have a role in her, in her future. He came back months later and tried again. I said, I, I have no witness in here that you have a role in her future. And one night she was falling in love with the guy. She came down to my bedroom and uh, said to me, Daddy, are you sure that he's not the right guy? I said, sweetheart, just trust me. Tears were running down her face. She said, I said to her, sweetheart, just trust me. Trust me. I love you. Trust me. And she broke off with the guy. She wasn't going to let it go any further. He broke into a rage that frightened the daylights out of her. She saw something she hadn't seen before. There's a volcano in there. And, it, and when my dad said no, it blew up in my face and went crazy. Well, for the next six months, she was depressed because she felt so sure that was the right guy. Well, honour your father and your mother that it may be well with you. Six months later, God brought the right guy into her life. A musician, a handsome 25-year-old dude. She's a musician. She was singing backing tracks for albums for him when God kind of knocked on the door of his heart and next thing you know I, as soon as I heard that boy's, vo that boy's voice on the phone he said uh, Pastor Mike could I come around and see you I knew why he wanted to come and see me and I knew we found that this was going to be the right guy and I have been so grateful that she's had a man filled with faith that will honour her and treat her with dignity and respect all the days of her life you've got to let elders and pastors speak into your life don't be so arrogant that mum and dad can't talk to you and here's the last one how can two walk together except they be agreed if Jesus really brought that person into your life then that person and you and Jesus are becoming a little unit and I'll tell you how it unfolds your discipleship just increases because of the relationship you love God more you want to serve God more. You want, you're just more grateful for the life of God because Jesus is in the middle and things are springing up. You know how I knew that my girl was not being pursued by the right guy? Because I watched the light go out of her face. She was in love with God. I watched her face go dark. Now, she wasn't doing anything immoral. She was just in love with the wrong guy. But you see, when Jesus is not in the middle, you can't make him get in there. And as a result, when you're walking with someone and it isn't in partnership with Jesus, discipleship begins to spiral downwards. You begin to resent God. You begin to want to isolate yourself from church and from fellowship and worship and all of the stuff. And 
I saw the light go out. And I said, sweetheart, he's not the right guy for you. Five little tests. They could save your life. Your heart. What happens when you pray about it genuinely? The mathematics. The witness of leadership in your life and what's happening to your discipleship in the process. And if you put those five things together, you don't have to make a disastrous mistake. Now I've got to stop. I have to stop because that's enough. Let me show me the very last one if you would. I'd love to tell you more because I got more. <laughs> but you're going to have to do the work yourself. Now, people have already taken all of them. But if you would be willing to invest in your own discipleship, over seven and a half hours, I can unpack for you a whole range of discipleship issues. And if you're a young man or a young woman who wants to get it right without damaging your life and someone else's, I can help you do the journey. It may be that you're here tonight and sex has been misused in your life and you know that it has wounded who you are. The only resource I can offer you is I have one um, session with me, healing where sex has been misused, and I would encourage you, if you can't afford it, just come up and I'll give it to you. Take it home, listen to it, and get some of the counsellors or prayer people in your church to pray through those six different issues that I unpacked on that uh, DVD. And uh, you, can do, you can do something about pursuing a path of healing. Now I've got to stop. I, get, I know I've gone 15 minutes over. May the Lord forgive me. Thank you. How many people would love to get married one day and make it work? Come on, just if you're single, come on, put your hand up. If you'd like to get married one day and make it work, um, how many people are already married and you're glad it's working? Put your hand up. I am. There's nothing more wonderful than to be married and know that um, because of Jesus, it'll always be great. I was going to ask a question: Who people who's, who wishes they were married to someone else? But we shouldn't. We won't. <laughs> Father, you love these young people. In a world that would love them to think that sex is the meaning of life, I pray for the fear of God to say to them, it's important, but my sex life belongs to Christ. It belongs to the Heavenly Father. And I'm going to ensure that all the days of my life, I honor him with my body. Father, this is my prayer. Could you tonight rest on young men and women and, and inspire them to discover, to taste and to see that you are good. And I pray your blessing will guide and guard them all the days of their life in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to hand back to you, Pastor. And what I'm going to do is hang around tonight and if you'd like to ask more questions, if you'd like to kind of follow through on some of this, I'll hang out and I'll answer questions uh, until you're bored and you want to go home. God bless, Pastor. Thank you so much.